This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni and today we're talking with author and workforce specialist Dr. Tamika Jacques, her newest book, A Brown Parent's Guide, Preparing Our Children for Employment in the 21st Century, provides parents with advice on how to help their kids in creating opportunities for themselves. She also focuses on career development as well as diversity, equity and inclusion programs in the workplace. Good morning, Dr. Jacques. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me, Kendra. I'm so, I have so many questions for you. I'm <laughs> so excited to talk with you this morning. First, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and why this topic is such a crucial one for so many parents and families out there who feel like they may be facing a disadvantage. Sure. No, absolutely. So I've been in the workforce development world for, um, it's going on almost 20 years. I can't believe it. And, you know, I started with um, teaching English as a second other language to students that were just coming to this country and they wanted a better economic career path. And, you know, you know, you see these students that are trying to, you know, overcome these challenges in their lives, not just like moving to a new country, um, but also like how do they provide for themselves? And in most cases, how do they provide for their family, right? Because their family is depending on them. And so, you know, through that work and getting into the workforce world of creating training programs and just really seeing where people were happy. Um, I found out that people are the happiest when they're really understanding what their passion is. Mm-hmm. And if we can kind of educate children at a younger age, I think it gives, you know, as you're talking to your children, as they grow up, it gives them really, you start that conversation so they can start thinking at a younger age of whether it's forming a business, becoming an entrepreneur, or working out in the workforce, but at least they're in tune with what their passions are. And, um, you know, it just makes us all a little bit happier when we are using our passions. Talk a little bit about your experience. What was it like for you, you know, as you started to go into your professional career, you know, through college and then in the workplace, talk about what your experience was like and, and the kinds of challenges that you faced. Sure. So, you know, I um, graduated with my master's at 24 and I lit and I moved to New York. So New York is a melting pot um, and, you know, they're very open to, you know, diversity and just, you know, 
enjoying the younger workforce or no matter what age you are, it's just a melting pot, should I say. And so, you know, I came back to Massachusetts forgetting a little bit about how I grew up about first about facing um, adversity growing up because I grew up in a town where really no one looked like me. Right. And so I come back from New York. I've had this great four years there. It's a melting pot. I come back. I'm looking for a job in my field, which at that time was higher education. And when I lived in New York, I was director. You know, I had already achieved that director role. And I came back and, I, and I, I'm going for interviews and I'm going to my network and I'm saying, like, help me. Like, you know, where should I look? And everyone's like, after my interviews, they're like, well, they thought you were great, but mm you know, you're only 27 and maybe you should, you know, uh, be a program coordinator or an assistant director. And it's like, hello, like I've already, you know, balanced budgets. I'm supervising people. I'm leading, you know, students. I'm helping them with their career path. And people were looking at me like I need to step down from what I was doing because of their small box that they wanted to put me in. Right. Right. And so, you know, just going through that in my career, sometimes just being the only black woman and people wanting to put you in a box, you know, I don't want that for my children or for anyone's children. I want us to be able to say, you know what, I've created my own pathway and I'm using my passions. And if you don't want to promote me, then I'll promote myself. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if you don't, you're at the will of others. When they feel like you should be promoted, that's when they're going to say, yes, you should be director now. But if you already have those skills and talent, you know, who are they to say where you should be? (laughs) <laughs> right. And, and I love that. I was, I was going to mention that before you even got to it, I, that it, honestly, it's my, it's one of my biggest, I don't even know what you would call it, pet peeve or what, but mm-hmm. you hit home on the point of, do you see people that look like you? And I, and I'll say as a woman, it's the first thing I look at. And, and my husband, obviously being a man doesn't really understand. And I, in every TV show on, and anything with politics, anytime there's a room of people it's the first thing that I look for to see, is there any, are there any women, are there any women that look like me, yes. whether it's my age, what my ethnic background, whatever it is, it is the biggest point to hit home. Do you see people that look like you and who are the people that are telling you you can do it? And I love, I love that you mentioned who are the ones that are discouraging you in the process. And just, I mean, just elaborate a little more. Why are those so important? I, I always thought it was crazy for being, <laughs> for, for only focusing on, why aren't there any women in that room? Where are they? What, why aren't they there? Why are those so important for, for, for so many women to pay attention to that going forward? Absolutely. Because, and I can identify with you, Kendra, right? I mean, I walk in a room and like you said, I'm looking for women, but I'm also looking for a woman of color because we like to see, we like to look up to women Mm-hmm. You know, I learned from other women that have created, have gone before me, have, you know, struggled of being the only woman in a room uh, that, you know, is full of men. And so, you know, we need to see role models in front of us. And I always say that as you are networking and as you are the only woman, like, don't forget about the people that have gone before you and have done that. But especially because, you know, a lot of us have, we're, we're caregivers, right? So we're moms, we're aunts. Or uncles. And I think, you know, as a woman, you know, we want to see our children, um, you know, everyone says, oh, I want my children to do better than us. Yes, we do. But we want to also prepare the way for them. You know, I, I always say that, you know, through networking, I'm not only networking for myself, I'm networking for other women. I'm networking for my daughter so that when she does need an internship, 
I can say, oh my gosh, I met, you know, this person and let me connect you with them. And so yes, we're all looking for role models, right? Because we don't want to, you know, there's so many firsts that are happening in this world and being number one is always the greatest, you know, (laughs) that number per se, but at the same time, you know, I don't want to always go through the struggle that the number one person (laughs) had to go through. Exactly. It's a good point. No, it's a very good point. Right. So if I can help my daughter, I don't want my daughter to say, oh, you know, I went through that. I was the first person in my family to go through that. No, let me tell you what I went through as far as adversity. Let me share my story so that you do not have to be the first and that you can set up your legacy, you know, with your own children or whoever it is so that they're not going through the same struggles that you went through. And I think as women, we have to make sure that we are supporting women, supporting women, right? Because, you know, we all have gone through our own struggles. And if I can share my story to help another woman, I am there for that. We should all be lifting each other up and pushing each other up so that as we are climbing, we're climbing higher, we're bringing other women behind us. I, I absolutely like, I, I wish I could print that out, put it on a t-shirt and wear it every single day. You have no idea that that's literally my thought every single second of every day. And I, I want to kind of go back onto the, you know, the interview part of this thing, you know, in your first book, a Brown girl's guide to employment and networking. And you've mentioned networking a little bit, this book, by the way, named best book for networking by Forbes in 2019 and number one on Amazon. So that's pretty nice. I pat, I pat myself on the back for that. Very nice. <laughs> and you talk about things like mastering interview tactics and what, what kinds of mistakes are, are women making in the interview process? Or if it's not mistakes, what are some tips or pieces of advice that you can give women and women of color to, sh- maybe, to maybe better that experience or for them to maybe get the most out of the interview process? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, before you even get to the interview, 70% of people are hired by like word of mouth and networking. (laughs) So, you know, before you even get there, someone probably has told your story, right? No, you know, a friend of a friend, oh, I can vouch for this person. I don't necessarily think that women are doing interviews wrong. I think it's always important to do some, you know, pre-interviews, some practice interviews, some informational interviews, Um, with people just to get a feel of, is this the profession that is for me? Is this the industry that is for me? But I think that what happens is as we go and we interview, and there's a lot of different interviews where there's groups, and you might be in an industry where it's an all-male industry. So you're in this interview, and you're sitting with people that have a lot of unconscious bias, Mm -hmm. and, um, you know, how they grew up, their environment plays into effect. So when we get in the interview, you know, we're doing a fantastic job, but if you're interviewing with someone that already has that, you know, that, that bias, how can Mm -hmm. you even get the job? Right. And so that's why it's important that we are uh, networking with each other so that I can say, yes, I know Kendra, you know, I would, I could, I could vouch for her. Let me schedule an interview and kind of be forceful in that and, and really be able to speak up about the great skills that that woman would have and, and how she would be a benefit to the company. And I think we see this, if you look at the fortune, you know, 500 companies, how many women are CEOs? Right. Um, and, and, and we think about that because, you know, there's so many great talent in this world. In Massachusetts alone, 51% of women are in the workforce. Maybe that was pre-pandemic, but, um, 
51% are in the workforce. So how is it that it's only 1% of women are, you know, are CEOs in Fortune 500 companies? I mean, the numbers just do not add up. And so as a women, you know, we're facing these unconscious bias, we're facing these um, these, you know, adversities, you know, if you are a woman of color, you're facing these different adversities and it really can be defeating. And so that's why it's important that we share our stories with each other to uplift each other and encourage each other, that there's a door that will be open to you. If you're just waking up and tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. And we've been talking with motivational speaker and author, Dr. Tamika Jacques. She's the author of A Brown Girl's Guide to Employment at Networking, which was named a best book for networking by Forbes in 2019 and a number one seller on Amazon. She has a new book out now called A Brown Parent's Guide, Preparing Our Children for Employment in the 21st Century, plus her coaching and consulting firm, Fruitful Vision Enterprises focuses on career development as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion programs in the workplace. Let's get back to our conversation. So I want to kind of tack on that a little bit in your newest book, A Brown Parent's Guide, Preparing Our Children for Employment in the 21st Century. You talk about preparing kids for employment in a world that that often judges their abilities and their fitness for the job based on their skin color. And can you talk about the ways that you're helping families to overcome that issue? Because it's such a it's such an important issue, and I just can't believe that it happens. Yes, no, absolutely. So, you know, because you know, just because you're a leader or a CEO does not uh, uh, mean that you know how to manage people and educate people and right. really have that mindset to make it equitable for all, right? And so, right. you know, what happens is that we tend to. Um, join networks that uh, are familiar with us, right? So, you know, uh, people that we are comfortable with, and sometimes it is unconscious, and it's just more of an edge, you know, an education and awareness. And sometimes I love when I meet people and they'll say, you know, I didn't know what, um, you know, white privilege was per se, and mm-hmm. because some people will get offended by it. And it's just that your skin color is, is hasn't been a barrier for you, right? right. And so that's right. all it is. And so sometimes it's just more about um, awareness. And if no one has had those conversations at your company or if you're in an environment where you've only been around people that look like you and you've never heard anybody's story, I think that, um, you know, you tend to stay in your little bubble. Well, that doesn't affect me, so I don't know anything about it. And then you have people that aren't aware, they're not educated, and they come with these positions, you know, they, they, they rise up the ranks in these positions, mm-hmm. and they really forget about, you know, who is coming up behind them. And so you have, you know, whether whatever company it is, sometimes, you know, you look at the C-suite team, and it's all males, because, you know, when you're in, let's say you're in an interview and you're going to choose the person that looks like you, that sounds like you, if if diversity is not part of your conversation all the time, the person that comes from the social, uh, you know, economic path that you came from, the rank that you came from. And um, a lot of times people will say, well, they've had the same opportunities that I've had. And it's like, no, they have not had the same opportunities. And we need to recognize that. And so, yes, you have people when you go into these interviews and people hire based on skin color because of there is racism in this world. You know, there's systematic racism 
And, you know, our country was founded on slavery, right? And it goes back for hundreds and hundreds of years. And if you keep on, um, you know, in your family, if that's your, uh, you know, your opinion of it, it's going to keep going so that it doesn't change just because you get into the workplace. It changes because you want to become aware and you want to see others around you and you understand that not everyone comes from the same background or upbringing and you're educating yourself, right? Right. So when I speak with families, you know, I have, you have to be real with them and say, yes, when you walk through a room and you go into an interview, you know, people are going to see your color. Right. And when people say, oh, I'm colorblind, I don't want anyone to be colorblind because I'm proud of my skin color. Right. And so people will say to me, Tamika, you know, I'm not, I'm not racist and I don't have any bias, but that's a lie. We all have some sort of bias in us, you know, and I don't want you to tell me that you're colorblind. I want you to see my skin because I value, you know, who I am and I value my ancestors and my family members that have come before me. So yes, it's true because we all judge and have bias. We all have some sort of bias. And if you say you don't, then, you know, I don't believe you, right. <laughs> you know, you're a liar. Right. So I right. think the first thing is just the education and the awareness and, you know, learning about other cultures and immersing yourself in those cultures. Like I said, you know, I grew up in a small town and I chose not to go to college in my town because I wanted more. I wanted to meet people that looked like me, people that didn't look like me, people that didn't have my same values, because I was open to that, because I knew what it was like to face adversity. And, you know, it just translates into the work world. And so people can say, you know, oh, you know, we're not, I'm not racist, or, you know, we've interviewed, you know, 20 women of color, but it has to go past interviewing. How many did you hire? Did you help them? Did you pave the way? And that happens as as children. Right. That happens for our children, whether they're in school and they face it from a teacher. So it's just it just starts. It's that we have to be more in control of of what we do in our lives, uh, career wise, you know, having a passion of what we want to do so that we're not controlled by somebody else. Again, you know. If, if you don't want to give me a promotion, that is fine. I will go out and do my, you know, I'll, I'll find something else. And, you know, you can find that through your passions and you can sustain that. So, um, you know, I just, I tell families, do not let people put you in a box and do not let t- someone tell you no. Right. <laughs> right. No, that's a good point. And I, I was going to ask, how do you, how do you handle that in the workplace? So I know you have a consulting firm uh, that you focus on career development for inclusion programs in many workplaces. How would you, how would you almost teach a workplace to have inclusion and, and to move past maybe the bias barriers that they already have? Sure. Well, I always ask people to do um, Harvard University has a great implicit bias test and there is different tests that you can take on there and you can do it, you know, in your own little office or if you're home and you will discover uh, through those tests where your bias lies. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's the first shock because people will say to me, I'm not biased. But then when they take the test, and the test shows them, it really gets them to start thinking, um, you know, what, how they could change that, right? And, and the key is, is that we are not going to change this overnight. 
It takes, you know, an education piece. When I talk to companies, I say, okay, let's start with your mission. And does your mission include uh, inclusion? Because you can't just talk about it, right? It can't just be there. What are your practices that you are doing in your company? Are we having these inclusion talks? Are we having employee resource, resource groups that are, you know, talking about what is happening in their company. Is there a way that we can talk about, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion without workers feeling like they're going to be retaliated against? Mm -hmm. And so when I teach, I'm teaching about microaggressions, right? What does it mean to have a microaggression? What does it mean to have a bias? What is the true definition of diversity? And when you look at that and see, you know, how your eyes are judging, it really helps, I think, bring it into focus because we all have, we all use our eyes to judge people, (laughs) you know, I could have on a red sweater and it's not your favorite color and you, you're going to judge me because I wore a red sweater. Right. right. That's right. (laughs) You talk also about, you know, how important it is to have a cheerleader in your background, in your, in your court or in your life. And I wanted to know, you know, how did your parents mentally and, and verbally prepare you for the world, you know, to go out and get, how did, how did your parents basically teach you and prepare you to go out into the world and face what you were about to face? Sure. That's a great question. And, um, you know, we lived in a town, like I said, where people did not look like me and we had the same size houses as them. And my parents, my parents were very honest about that, right? At a young age, they would say, listen, when you go into school, there are going to be people that do not like you based on your skin color. And they would really give me like motivational talks in the morning, right? And we would have these conversations, but they would always say, you are not to act like them, right? right. You are to keep your head up high and know that you have a parent system that is supporting you and we are here for you. We want you to get an education and we always will provide for you no matter what we will, you know, take second jobs to get you, you know, past where they were. Right. And so I just think starting at a young age, they were just, they were honest about it and they were comfortable in having those conversations because they had gone through the civil rights era of marching with civil rights leaders. And so they understood where they were moving to. They, you know, they were blessed in that they were able to get themselves educated and to get out of um, poverty. And so they said to me, you, you don't, you don't act like those people out there. Okay, because we know that you're going to be judged on your skin. And it didn't matter if my parents made just the same amount of money as them or even made more. Um, They knew that I was going to be based on my skin color. They knew that I was going to be treated different based on my skin color. They knew that people were going to pick on me at school and they just prepared me for it and just said, if you need us at school, you call us. And my dad was at my school several times. (laughs) Um, So it just, you have to prepare our children to have these conversations. And I think sometimes we, we don't want to have that conversation with them because we don't want, we don't want them to talk about pain, but that's what helps us to really, for them to be stronger and to go through trials and really come out you know, on top, right? Really come out in the victory because, you know, I don't sit here, Kendra, talking to you saying that I've never had adversity. I've had it 
you know, my whole life <laughs> as a woman, as a, as a black woman, I've had it in elementary school, I've had it on the school bus, but I never let those people, you know, tear me down. And that was because like the, you know, like you said, the question you asked is my parents were coaching me through it. Right. And think about it as a woman, when we go through different things as a woman, we want to be able to call a mentor that can guide us. Because especially as a woman, especially if you're in a male dominated industry, Mm -hmm. you are going to have struggles, right? What's the biggest thing you hope people take away from reading both of your books? Yeah. So, you know, for me, networking is so important on my first one, a Brown Girl's Guide to Employment and Networking. So, you know, people always say, well, is it just for brown girls? No, it's not just for brown girls, but, you know, they deserve a shout out um, and, 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 and some tips. And, and so, you know, I hope that people will get some networking tips in the first book, whether you're an introvert or an extrovert. Mm-hmm. And, um, just really learn how to make ways in your professional career. And in a Brown Parents Guide, it really is for parents to start ha- having those conversations earlier and talking about to their children the different career pathways that they can take and really explaining to them that I talk about in my second book this term called stackable credentials. And every year that your, um, you know, your student is participating in baseball or taking dance class, they really are building credentials. And so from the second book, I hope that parents would be able to understand what a stackable credential is and how you can turn those stackable credentials into the child's passion and they can get athletic scholarships. You know, we say athletic scholarships, but really that really is income right, <laughs> for it is. You know, the family. So we call it financial aid, but it's not financial aid. Those are based on what your child's stackable credentials at the time. And so I hope from the second book that parents will be able to understand that and how we can create opportunities for our children if they do face adversity in their lives. Well, we're, we're out of time, but I want to just end with one of my favorite, favorite quotes from your book, where you say, quote, I was not going to wait for someone's bias against me to keep me from moving forward in my career. I decided not to wait for higher education to make a decision on when and if I could enter their industry. I think that is a quote that everyone listening should follow, should, should take in for themselves, because self-worth, I think, is the biggest hurdle that every woman faces. And I absolutely love how you are encouraging so many families, parents, children alike to just have that mindset and to not wait for others and to go get yours, work hard and earn it. And I, I've, I love it. Dr. Tamika Jacques, you can find both of her books, a Brown girl's guide to employment and networking and a Brown parents guide preparing our children for employment in the 21st century. You can get them both on Amazon. We're going to put a link up right on our website on magic 1067.com. So you can buy them and read them for yourself. It has been such a pleasure talking with you. I could talk to you for like another, another half hour, hour. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's been unbelievable. And I really, I welcome you back on the show anytime. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kendra. I appreciate you. And just for giving me this opportunity to share my story and to speak. So thank you so much. Thank you to Dr. Tamika Jacques for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. We talk with celebrities and CEOs, but we're also interested in talking with your neighbors, coworkers, and friends who are quietly making an impact in their communities. Go to magic1067.com and email us if you know someone you'd like to recommend to be featured on the show. And you can follow us on Instagram at sue.tab and at Kendra the Entertainer. We'd love to hear from you and be sure to join us every Sunday morning for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone.